This is an American Workplace, a podcast dedicated to re-watching and discussing NBC's beloved mockumentary series, The Office. My name is Katie White, and joining me as always is my good friend and co-host, Chad Hopkins. How are you doing, Chad? I'm doing well. I'm smack dab in the middle of this three-day weekend, and I'm looking forward to having the day off tomorrow. I bet. It's your first week's uh, teaching. Congratulations. I'm, I bet you're glad it's done. Yes, I am. It was a busy week, uh, nonstop, all day, every day this past week, teaching students how to play string instruments. Um, but it, it was fine. It was it was good. I'm looking forward to the rest of the year. But th this three-day weekend is already very well placed after that first week. I don't get too used to it. <laughs> uh, no, not at all. But uh, how was your week? <laughs> oh, it was fine. We uh, started fall a little bit early here in New York, so I've been loving that. I am jealous. It was cool a little bit here in Texas, uh, here in the Dallas area, but it, it's it's starting to get hot again before it gets cold. So I'm, I'm just ready for the cold to be here 100% of the time. Well, now that we're on our eighth episode of the show, we do have two new reviews for the show. So I want to send out a big thank you to Mickey Doctor 7 and forgive me if I say this incorrectly from how you imagine it, the Yugo Glizer on iTunes. So thank you both for the reviews. Thank you all to everyone who has reviewed so far. And uh, thank you in advance to anybody who has yet to review and would like to give us that little bit of a boost on iTunes and help with visibility on the show. So thank you and looking forward to any future comments you guys send our way. And with that, I think we're ready to move on to the episode. What about you, Katie? Let's do it. Episode 9 of Season 2 is Email Surveillance. It aired on November 22nd, 2005, directed by Paul Feig, written by Jennifer Salota. In this episode, Michael is getting the ability to spy on his employees' emails, thus the title Email Surveillance, and he uses that newfound power to find out about a party that Jim is throwing at his place that night that all of the other employees have been invited to except for Michael. So he spends the whole rest of the day, the whole rest of the workday, dropping hints that he knows and wants to go to the party, uh, but is unsuccessful. Jim neglects to invite Michael on purpose. And so at the end of the workday, everyone leaves for the party, lies about where they're going to Michael, and Michael instead goes to improv class. But Michael being Michael, before the night is through, he crashes the party and ends the night in a karaoke duet with Jim. So even though he crashes a party, we do have a little bit of a happy ending here. Um, and, you know, I just realized I, I, it's sort of become a catchphrase for me as far as talking about Michael. Michael being Michael, that, because that, that, that's just, <laughs> that's him. That's Michael. It's Michael being Michael. There's an expected behavior we have for him at this point in the show. Yeah, I think we've finally kind of come into stride with Michael. We, um... Like we said, we're nine episodes in to season two, and um, I think we finally are now getting kind of a steady stream of expectation for Michael. We kind of know what he's up to, who he is. Uh, so I think we'll see this Michael for, for quite a while. I think so, too. And just starting off the, the very top of the episode, we have the cold open where he it's bright and early in the morning. He looks out his office window, and there's this guy with brown skin and a turban walking up towards the building, and Michael automatically assumes that, uh-oh, we're in trouble, a terrorist is invading our building. Uh, and it, it's not like this guy is wearing Middle Eastern garb, it's just it, he's wearing normal clothes with a turban. Like, he, he's a normal guy. You, you see people like this all the time, in America even. It's not a big deal. But Michael freaks out, he runs into the office, he turns off all the lights, tells everybody to be quiet, and... Uh, 
it, when when people ask questions, Jim asks, are we in danger? And Kevin asks Michael, should I call the... And he cuts him off. Michael says, no, there's no time to think about it. This is real. You just need to be quiet. And uh, then, then we have that great talking head immediately after. It cuts to the talking head and he says, yeah, the new IT tech guy and me did not get off to a great start. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty uh, brutal cold open. <laughs> I remember watching that actually when it uh, first aired. Well, maybe not when it first aired, but when I watched through it for the first time and just groaning at that talking head, like, oh, it's just the IT tech. Like, <laughs> it's, oh. Yeah, his racism is is still grounded in racial stereotypes. So whether it was in the, the, the client episode that we talked about in episode seven of the show, uh, where he just says, adios specifically to oscar after saying something else to everybody else or whether it's uh basketball back in season one where he was assuming that stanley was going to be good at basketball because he's black um, all of this is just michael sees a skin color he makes assumptions and they're normally wrong and this is another instance of that while we're on the subject of michael um his just pathetic and sad attempts to try to get an invite to jim's barbecue um just grilling people throughout the day on what they're doing this weekend, what they're doing tonight. He talks with Jim. Hey, you know, are are you doing anything tonight? Um, if you're not, I'd love to hang out. And Jim says, oh, you know, I, I actually have plans. And Michael says, oh, yeah, yeah, me too. I have improv. <laughs> and Jim says, well, I, I thought you wanted to hang out. And Michael kind of reneges. Oh, no, 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 no. I, I, I misspoke. Not tonight because I have improv tonight and I wouldn't miss that. But you know, if, if something else came up, I would definitely not go to improv. <laughs> and he's just so clearly bummed and his feelings are hurt about not getting this invite. And he's just not veiling his attempts to try to get one. Yeah, it's sad. I, I do feel a little bit bad for Michael. I only say a little bit because he's spying on everybody and that's how he finds out in the first place. But there's this shot where everybody has left the office for the day. He's been asking everybody what their plans for the night are. Uh, even Dwight has lied to him. Dwight is loyal number two in the office, assistant to the regional manager. <laughs> Dwight lies because Dwight thinks it's a surprise party, thanks to Jim. And so Dwight says, well, I'm going to soccer practice. No, I I'm going to clarinet practice or whatever. And Michael is just left there, standing in the office by himself, nobody to go hang out with. He's going to improv class, but I mean, he doesn't really know those people. Um, it, it, it's sad. It's a sad moment because he's all on his own and completely left out of this social gathering that everybody else is going to together. And then we see that again at the end of the episode when Michael's leaving improv and they're all planning to go to the bar together and he's not included again. And um, that kind of bookend of the episode is is well done and really painful to watch Michael just get disincluded again and again. And that seems to be a theme for him. He's probably a pretty lonely guy. It, it's very nice of Jim at the end of the night when Michael does crash the party and he, he says, you know, I've got dibs next on the karaoke. And of course, Michael brings up a duet on the karaoke machine because he wants to involve somebody else. He doesn't want to be up there by himself again. He wants to involve somebody else in this. And ideally, he'd be singing with Pam or with another attractive female in the office. Um, but Jim gives in after Dwight has or after Michael has sung both the Kenny Rogers and the Dolly Parton parts of Islands in the Stream on his own. And Jim comes up and he takes it easy on him. He says, you know, he's here. Might as well have some fun with it. And they sing the chorus together. So it's a it's a pleasant ending to the episode and that that Jim wasn't so standoffish, wasn't so opposed to having Michael there that he just completely ignores him 
uh, when he does show up. It reminded me of the uh, Chili's episode a bit of uh, of the Dundies, where the office kind of rallies behind Michael and sticks up for him. And yeah, Michael wasn't invited to this party, but you know, he's here. I think what's going through Jim's head is, I don't want him to make a fool of himself. You know, I'll go sing the duet with him so he doesn't get rejected three times in one day. <laughs> right. And it does diffuse the tension a little bit, too, because Michael shows up and everybody's just suddenly very antisocial, just sitting around, not talking very much, ignoring Michael, uh, requesting somebody to sing with him. And so Jim says, you know, one, to save Michael's feelings and two, to save the party. I'm going to go up and I'm going to sing with him. And like I said, it, it's a it's a fun little ending to the episode. As for the the email surveillance itself, what's really funny is the first time he tests it, he has the IT guy, which I don't think we get a name for the IT guy in this episode. I don't think so. Okay. I was just wondering about that. Yeah, I don't think so either. I think he shows up later maybe with a name. But for now, I'm just going to call him IT guy. But he says, okay, you need to search for the word profits. I want you to search profits in everybody's emails. See see what they're talking about as far as business goes. And he says, wait, 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 never mind. Search Michael Scott. Search boss. Search funny. And so he's, he turns it into a selfish thing automatically. And that ultimately leads him to finding out about the Evite. One of his more desperate attempts of trying to convince Jim to give him an Evite to the party is when he joins him for lunch. And he's eating his cup of noodles and he says, oh, yeah, this reminds me of college. This is my lifeblood. And I remember partying with both the students and with the professors. And they, they were the most fun part. We always invited the professors. <laughs> he's dropping these heavy, heavy hints. Yeah, I'm the boss, but I can go to a party, too. I mean, come on, guys. It's not a big deal. Uh, and the whole time, Jim just keeps giving the camera these direct, uncomfortable glances. <laughs> Super thinly veiled attempt. And everyone knows what he's up to. And, you know, everyone's just quiet, eating their lunch, trying to avoid the subject. So there was a nice moment, a nice little through line for Dwight and Angela this episode. At the very beginning, when they're talking about email surveillance, and Dwight says to Angela, just so you know, if you have any sensitive emails, they need to be deleted immediately. Um, and of course, Pam catches on to that, and she alerts Jim and the camera crew, which is, I think, one of the first times that we direct our attention directly to the camera crew. We, uh, treat them as a character a little bit in this episode. But at the very end of the episode, um, we see Dwight and Angela's shoes stacked on top of each other as if, you know, they're, they're making out, which I thought it was also clever that they, they snuck in two shots in this, in the episode where we get to see both Dwight's shoes and Angela's shoes so that when that scene comes at the end of the episode, we know whose they are. Yeah, I I hadn't thought about seeing the individual shots before so that you could figure it out. I mean, you just assume at the end that it's them anyways, but the fact that we were able to see close-ups of their shoes and they even make a joke about Dwight's Birkenstocks and how he keeps a, a pair in his car for special occasions. Right. <laughs> so we do know exactly, for sure, We rather than just assuming. That's a good point. And then we see Angela's um, pink plaid shoes when she gets sap on her feet. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's awesome. So we see the Birkenstocks and the and the pink and we go, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> Which I think is our first bit of solid evidence that they're a thing. Yeah, they talked about, or the, when I say they, the, the people who make the show were talking about Dwight and Angela becoming a thing in future episodes in one of the commentaries from last week uh, when we talked about either the client or performance review. Uh, they were talking about, yeah. We we haven't gone that direction fully yet, but it's coming soon. And so this is our first time saying, yep, Dwight and Angela are a thing, apparently. And that storyline leads 
Pam on her own adventure during this episode where she has heard that that line about deleting emails and so she makes it her mission to find out hey is there something actually really going on here and so as you mentioned she even mentions it to the camera crew and so she goes to Dwight first at his desk and asks him this hypothetical question about a friend she has who's interested in two different women at work one's this tall brunette and one's a short judgmental blonde girl <laughs> very clearly Angela <laughs> but Dwight doesn't pick up on those cues she asks him which of the women should her friend choose and Dwight doesn't give her the answer she wants says hmm does your friend have access to their medical records? <laughs> which makes me wonder if Dwight has access to their medical records, which I guess he does, given his little talking head. Yeah, in his talking head, he does mention that as a volunteer sheriff deputy, he has access to people's medical information and in their psychiatric records. And he says, you know, Lackawanna County has a huge number of yeast infections. And then he says <laughs> the right. most ridiculous thing. Maybe it's because we live downriver from that old bread factory. <laughs> Detective. Uh, yeah. Detective Dwight to the rescue. But then, anyways, Pam gets back to the break room and she bumps into Angela and Angela is buying something from the snack machine. And she asks, hey, Angela, are you taking anybody to the party at Jim's tonight? And just trying to make casual conversation, see if she'll reveal anything that way. And after Angela has bought her snack, Pam goes for the vending machine trying to buy her own. And Angela says, hold on. And she buys another one. And Pam gestures to the camera. This, she's buying two. She's buying two snacks. And so Angela walks off and then later, this is why it's significant that Pam enlisted the camera crew to help her out. The camera runs up to Pam's desk, lowers down to the desk level, and then gestures over to Dwight, who is eating one of the snacks. It's a baby Ruth bar that Angela bought from the vending machine. And so she goes, oh, yes, thank you. And that, that is significant. Like you said, this, this was one of the first times we really had acknowledged directly the camera crew and the documentary crew. And this was a shot where it was very, very clearly somebody behind the camera with a personality running up to Pam, gesturing towards Dwight and drawing her attention to this continued adventure she's having. Right. I thought that was a really interesting use. And, and we don't see too much of it, admittedly, um, in this series. But... That was a nice moment where we're reminded that, oh, yeah, there are people behind these cameras. They are part of a documentary. It's not just a sitcom style show or, you know, a fly on the wall thing. We are um, watching them in a documentary setting. The the final sort of conclusion of this arc that, that Pam is trying to figure out what's happening here. She goes to the party and she sees Angela and Dwight talking with each other. And she goes up to Phyllis and says, hey, Phyllis, have you heard any rumors about any... Uh, maybe possible office romances. And Phyllis says, oh, you mean you and Jim? And Pam freaks out like, no, what What are you talking about? And then Phyllis feels really bad. Bless her. She feels awful uh, because she she was making an assumption that Pam wasn't trying to imply. And Pam does shake it off. She says it's fine. She She is shocked. But then she has her own talking head outside of the outside of Jim's place and says, you know, we were just grasping at straws. It. I dropped this project. Two people can hang out and just be friends. It's unfair for them to think otherwise. And she. she's saying that to herself, but she's also saying it to everybody else. Like, listen, Jim and I are friends. That's all we are. It's nothing more. That's, that's it. It's nothing more. And speaking of Jim and Pam, there's a nice little moment as they're taking the tour of Jim's apartment. 
Ryan asks Jim if Katie's coming to the party, and Jim says he hasn't spoken to Katie in a while. And the camera pans over to, to Pam's face, and she kind of suppresses a smile, clearly happy that Jim and Katie aren't seeing each other anymore. Yeah, it's our first mention of Katie since the fire back in episode four of season two. And of course, Ryan asks, hey, can can I call Katie? And Jim responds, we'll talk about that later. Like, this is not the time right. or place for that kind of thing. <laughs> uh, but we, we do get the, the cameraman zooming in on Pam to catch her reaction. First, she sort of opens her mouth almost in, in surprise. But then she just, as you said, sort of suppresses with a smile as she's going up the stairs. But then Jim walks in on Pam later. He's giving this tour and he notices that Pam has been left behind. And so he goes back to his room and Pam's in his room. And so they simulate the distance between them in the office in his bedroom. So he sits at his little personal desk and she sits on his nightstand across the room. And then she sees his yearbook on the bookshelf. And so she goes to grab a yearbook and jumps under the bed. And uh, as she's looking through and laughing at his yearbook photo from high school, we get a shot from the other side of the bed looking towards Jim in the door. And Jim just looks on like, man, you know, this is the end goal. Having Pam here in my room, in my house, on my bed. And not that he's trying to get her in bed. He definitely wants more from a relationship with Pam than that. But it's like, wow, this is exactly what I want. This happy moment. But the circumstances are all wrong. Yeah, there was nothing sexual about it by by any means. It was just them hanging out in his room. And uh, there was kind of that... I, I think I mentioned this a couple of episodes ago um, when the dancing or swaying to the iPods. But it was, it was that um, kind of first date awkwardness and excitement and you know new relationship feelings that kind of made themselves present in that scene in in Jim's room of just some kind of awkward silence but exciting at the same time um i got a lot of that from them because this is the first time that we know of that they've spent time alone together in a private place they see each other at the office they hung out at chili's but i don't think that it's mentioned that they really hung out outside of a work setting before and this is the first time that I know of. Yeah, there was definitely this one. There was the Dundies, but that was still with work people. I mean, this is still with work people too, but this was a one-on-one. -on -one. Nobody was around in this moment, at least. And they were enjoying time spent together. In Jim's bedroom. In course. Jim's like, bedroom of all places. Yeah. yeah. Just a, a bit more intimate. Yeah. He's looking on longingly and good man. He's not trying to pursue it any further in that moment. He's depressed. He, he's glad Roy's not there. He's glad that she was able to come by herself and that she was able to come. Um, but he, he just wishes it was different circumstances that she was in his room. As far as Dwight individually goes in this episode, it's, it's strange to me how genuinely happy he is when Jim tells him that this is supposedly a surprise party for Michael because Dwight starts asking Jim about directions to the apartment or to Jim's place and uh, Michael's standing nearby. So Jim says, hey, shush, shush, not everybody knows about the party, specifically Michael. And Dwight says, why Why doesn't Michael know about the party? Jim says, because it's a surprise party. <laughs> He's just trying to come up with something to placate Dwight in the moment. So Michael interrogates him at the end of the day. He lies, says he's got soccer practice, clarinet practice, and he ends it with, have fun tonight, whatever it is that you're doing, and I'll see you Monday. And then he, he puts on this like devilish grin, like he, he's trying to suppress this immense joy in him, like, oh, I'm so excited. He goes up to the camera and he says, he has no idea, <laughs> and he walks out. Uh, but it, it's funny 
it's just strange to me how excited Dwight is that this is a surprise party for Michael. I was watching the episode again right before we did this, actually, and I got the weirdest feeling that at the beginning of the episode when Dwight is saying, like, it's my job to protect you, and what if something were to happen to you? I I need to know so you can pass on the the important information to me. He almost treats it like a marriage in some ways, like his spouse was dying and he needed to know, you know, the important information so that he could carry on the office. I don't know, like, he's so unhealthily attached to Michael. It's just, he's just your boss. He is just his boss, but man, Dwight takes it to another level and he, he's the only one who shouts surprise when Michael does show up later in the night right. uh, because he's the only one who thought it was a surprise party. And so he's really the only one who's glad to see Michael as well. Now, let's talk about funny moments. What character do you want to start with? This was just such a good Michael episode. I think I want to go back to him. Michael at improv class has got to be one of my favorite <laughs> things. I love especially when we first see him at improv class and... um the teacher, the leader, whoever is up front and says, okay, he wants to volunteer to go. And everyone's hands are up. Everyone wants to go. And Michael is making, you know, ooh, pick me, pick me. Ooh, Mr. Cartet. So he's chosen and immediately everyone's hands go down. And the teacher's like, all right, anybody? Come on, please, somebody. And he has to select someone to go because <laughs> no one wants to work with Michael. And we do get a return of his Michael Scarn FBI agent character from the threat level midnight script that we got in the client that we talked about last week. He's this guy who brings in a gun to every scene. And we get this talking head pretty early on. And he says, what's the most exciting thing that could happen to someone? Somebody has a gun. So I always start with a gun. <laughs> and so you see everybody else in the class's disdain for Michael's antics. This is clearly not his first time here. Clearly not his first time bringing Michael Scarn as a character. Or he even says Michael Schoon at one point. I think that was probably Michael <laughs> trying to... I think that was probably Michael trying to get away from it being the same character. Oh, his last name's different, so it's a different character. Right. And he even says, I always start with a gun because you can't top it. Which is just not the point of improv class. Like, you're... You're supposed to go somewhere with it. You're not supposed to just start at the peak of excitement. I don't know. It's just not the point. Yeah, I mean, somebody having a gun and shooting everybody can certainly be interesting in certain circumstances. But when it's all a character does every single time he's there, it's certainly not the most interesting thing that can happen anymore. Right. And it just stops any further scene. It just stops the action. Like, I, I win the scene. <laughs> yeah, there, there's one moment where he jumps into the scene and it, it's been going on for a while and he hasn't been involved up to this point. And so he comes in and he shoots everybody. <laughs> he, he just shoots all of them. They're all dead. So not, it, it definitely can't go on anywhere <laughs> from there. And then the, right. the instructor pauses the instruction and he says, okay, okay, that's enough for that one. And he says, wait, you didn't see where it was going. Where where was it going to go, Michael? You were the only one still alive at the, that point. Right. <laughs> Can't go anywhere. And so we have that great moment where the instructor, quote, confiscates all of his guns. And so you have this moment where, where Michael's lifting guns out from under his arms and from his back and his sides, and he hands them all over. And it's also worth noting that Ken Jong is in this episode. It's pretty early in his career. He'd made a few single episode TV appearances up to this point. Until his first appearance in Knocked Up in 2007. So he was still a pretty young actor, at least unknown actor. Uh, but he was in this episode. He played the character Bill. And after Michael has had his guns confiscated, he has a chance where he truly has to improv. Or at least 
that that's the expectation that he's truly going to have to improv and he has no idea what to do he doesn't know how to respond he doesn't know what to do in this situation and so instead he leans into ken jong's ear and he whispers something and slowly bill or ken jong's character raises up his hands like somebody's holding a gun to him so the instructor says hey michael what did you say and he said i don't know i didn't say anything and he says bill what did he say i can't show it to you but i have a gun <laughs> oh just getting around that loophole like he he can't be a very creative guy if he if that's all he wants to do in improv class it's just oh it makes me laugh i i honestly right now can't remember if we see much more of michael in improv i know he still goes later on in the series but i can't remember us seeing him but i hope we do yeah, I can't remember particularly either if there is another moment where he goes to improv and we actually see it, but he's always talking about it. In fact, he even he mentions Ryan Stiles in a deleted scene, and he has a talking head within the episode itself where he t he's telling a, quote, story of how he came to find improv class. And he botches his first few attempts of trying to tell this story. He stumbles over his words. And finally, he comes across, oh, yeah, yeah, I was walking along the street and this race car driver pulls up and... He says, wow, you're you're funny. You're the funniest guy I've ever met. And you should go to improv class or whatever. And he says, who was that guy? Dale Earnhardt Jr. I, I think that's who he says. And <laughs> I think so, too. And he says, and that was an improv. It, it was a very bad improv, Michael, is what it was. He, he's just not good at it. He's not good at it. And there's this great deleted scene where it's him and that woman that first he improved with. And we get the extended version of him shooting her in the head and telling her to talk and then telling her to shut up when she does talk and then he shoots her in the head and then they start to dissect his choices with the gun that was a super painful deleted scene bringing me back to a lot of my acting class days where people just make excuses for their bad choices in acting class and <laughs> oh bad memories <laughs> i bet I painful bet. but excellent well i i did have one question based on his improv class experience and that question is why do you think Michael feels the need to bring excitement to everything? Is it because he's just not a creative person and that's his go-to? Or or do you think, I, I don't know, what do you think is his reason for trying to elevate the scene automatically? I think because it's an attention getter. People don't necessarily find Michael funny or really super interesting. And I think it makes people pay attention to you. I mean, that's that was kind of my first impression that they have to pay attention to me if I'm the most powerful one in this scene, you know? Yeah, that makes sense. I agree. Uh, what other characters do you want to talk about as far as funny moments go? I had um, I had written something down at the party. Um, I thought it was fun that we see Kelly, Oscar, and Stanley um, standing off in the corner, and they're talking about paper products, and Stanley says, oh yeah, I really didn't expect that this one product would sell as well as it did, and Oscar says, you know what, it surprised us all, and I'll tell you why, and Kelly interrupts and says, you know... Can we please not talk about paper? There's got to be something else that we can talk about. <laughs> and they all just kind of stand there for a second. Like, what else do we all have in common? <laughs> right. And they really couldn't think of anything else to say. <laughs> yeah, these aren't people who hang out with each other much outside of the office. So even when they're outside of the office, they're talking about the office. And uh, Kelly asks them to talk about something else. And they, they have no clue what to talk about. They just stand there awkwardly picking at their teeth and otherwise trying to think of something to say. Pretty awkward, yeah. <laughs> What else did you have? I love that Angela seems to be disappointed and almost angry by the lack of non-meat food options at 
a barbecue. <laughs> like she knew it was a barbecue. It, is it was barbecue. always advertised as one. But when she goes up to Jim at the grill and uh, he asks her, okay, do you want a burger, a hot dog? What what sounds good? What what do you want to eat? And she says, I'm a vegetarian. He says, we have soda inside. And she just walks <laughs> off and like scoffs at him. Like, what did you expect? What do you think a barbecue is? That's by definition, barbecue is like smoked or grilled meats with sauces or whatever. It Like, that's exactly what it is. And you were wrong to expect something else. And she was all pissed off because she got sap on her shoe in an outdoor setting. Like, Yeah. It's just everything was upsetting. But I also love when uh, she's talking to Dwight. She, you, you hear a little snippet of their conversation and it sounds like she's justifying to Dwight that she's drinking wine because Jesus drank wine. Like, <laughs> yes, I, I loved that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so good. It, it's, it's, it's very much in the background because the focus is on Pam discovering that they're over there talking to each other, but you, you see her holding a glass of wine and really we don't ever see Angela drink almost ever, but maybe she's under a lot of stress. Maybe it, uh, I mean, she can't eat anything because she's a barbecue and she's vegetarian. Uh, so she's drinking wine. And she says, well, well, Jesus drank wine. <laughs> I don't see anything wrong with it. That's too funny. Yeah. And then Kevin, first off, there's this great moment earlier in the episode when he finds out that Michael can see what's on their computers. And he says, I've got to delete a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff. <laughs> and it makes you wonder exactly what he's got on his computer. But I mean, we've seen Kevin obsessing over juvenile things or being a, not a creep. I wouldn't call Kevin a creep at all, but he, he's just very, not, not very mature. And so he, it may, really makes you wonder what he has on his computer that might be so incriminating. So that, that's the first Kevin moment that makes me laugh. And then when he's at the party and he's standing by the grill and Ryan comes up and it looks like he's reaching for meat or something. And Kevin slaps his hand and says, not so fast, fire guy. <laughs> <laughs> so he brings back the joke from episode four, The Fire, uh, where Ryan has a thing now. As much as he didn't want to have a thing here, he's got a thing. He's a fire guy still. And we get an extended version of that scene and the deleted scenes when it was actually a setup. He's asked Ryan to come over and says, hey, you, you should turn up the, the fire on the grill or something like that. And after he says that, that's when Ryan reaches for the grill and that's when he slaps him away and says a fire guy joke. And then he's so proud of himself in this deleted scene and he turns and he yells to Kelly, hey, Kelly, I just called Ryan fire guy. She says, that's great, Kevin. And then he turns and he's laughing at himself and he, he turns to Stanley and he says, hey, Stanley. And then Ryan says, he just called me fire guy. Like, come on, Stanley, be on my side. It's not that funny. But then Stanley actually laughs and says, oh, good one, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> He's never going to escape that. Yeah. And then the last Kevin moment was just a, an interesting tidbit kind of thing because he's singing at the party. He's the first one we see playing or er, singing karaoke and he's singing Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive very poorly, which is funny because we do know at this point that he's in a band in some capacity. It was said in season one that he was in a Steve Miller tribute band. And we hinted then when we were talking about that episode that that changes. He's still in a tribute band, but it's for another artist. We still don't know what that new artist is yet, so I won't say it. But it makes you believe this moment here where he's singing badly. It's either a really bad band or hopefully he's not the lead singer. Yeah. <laughs> I just wanted to mention that and I'll leave it at that for now. So as far as deleted scenes go, um, this had some pretty good ones. I think my favorite one was with Michael and the IT guy and they're they're in Michael's office setting up the email surveillance and and the IT guy says is there something you want to ask me about 
maybe about my turban. And Michael says, oh, you know, no, that, that doesn't bother me. I, I actually have a turban myself that I, I, I wear sometimes. <laughs> and Michael pulls out his his turban that, that we saw in the Karnak, um, Johnny Carson character a few episodes ago, which is just so offensive that he would just pull this out and put it on. And it's a something that Michael would not and should not be wearing. And the IT guy just cringes. And then Michael kind of gets the hint and takes it off and leaves. And he says, do you want any coffee or or tea, or hummus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's, he's being very stereotypical again. And he even asks the guy, did you have Johnny Carson in your land? <laughs> like You mean, you mean uh, Pittsburgh? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I mean, Michael. yeah, but oh. I, didn't, I, I didn't watch him because I'm quite a bit younger than you. I watched Conan. <laughs> right. Oh, that, that, that scene made me laugh a lot. Uh, that was a good one. There's this really short one where Pam and Jim have a sympathetic yawn. And then Jim sees that the camera's watching and he, he says, oh, well, yeah, that happened. And that's all it is. That's all that little momentary scene is, is they, they both yawn at the same time. And yeah. Which I thought was fun because, you know how they say yawns are contagious. You only catch a yawn if you look at one. Because Pam kind of yawns first and then Jim, which means whether he was looking at her or not, she was kind of in his subconscious and he kind of saw her yawn out of his periphery. There was another deleted scene where Roy comes in and he's playing lovey-dovey with Pam. He's kissing her. He says, you're the best, Pam. And he's wanting to ask for permission to go play poker at Lonnie's house tonight. So that's why he doesn't go to Jim's party is because he's asking for permission to go to Lonnie's house instead. Pam says, okay, okay, uh, but I might be late tonight. And he says, oh, good. Don't wake me because I'm playing ball in the morning. So not only is he Ugh. not going to this party to spend time with her, he also doesn't want her to, to at least wake him up to say goodnight or missed you or talk about their evening or anything like that. It's just, don't wake me up. I'm playing ball in the morning, so I'm going to leave you again tomorrow. But for now, I'm going to be lovey-dovey so I can get permission to do this thing that I want to do on my own. Uh, he's the worst, Katie. <laughs> Roy Ugh. is the worst. Roy. Ugh. I, I'm, I'm glad I can't say that I know any Roys too personally. Oh, me neither. I'm glad because I don't know if I could handle it. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that leads us into our discussion topic for this episode. So in this episode, we saw a lot of potential or actual uh, office romances, office hookups. Who do you see in the office that isn't necessarily mentioned as being in a thing? But who do you see could potentially be in a hookup or a romance? Well, I don't know. <laughs> Kelly and Dwight have been uh, a kind of thing up to this point. But here in this episode, all of a sudden, Dwight and Angela are doing things together. Now, maybe it's hard to do this without mentioning things we know to come. <laughs> but right, you know, right. We, we know Stanley is married already at this point and has daughters and all that kind of stuff but him and phyllis seem to get on really well so a first-time viewer might look at them talking together sitting across from each other all the time seeing each other at work every single day maybe they might do something in the future and then ryan i'm trying to think who i would pair ryan with without i don't know <laughs> you see my without my conundrum away, yeah yeah w what kind of pairings do you have I had the same thought about um, Phyllis and Stanley, even though we do know Stanley's married. They just are both kind of quiet of the same, I don't know, spirit of person. Um, so I had that same thought. And then there's no real basis in this. I just feel like they might 
have a thing um meredith and creed (laughs) i would love that (laughs) right they're both just kind of like weird um of course we haven't seen meredith in her true form yet but um nor creed really but they're both very interesting characters and that would be a really fun (laughs) relationship yeah yeah, that would be pretty funny and i'd love to see toby with somebody too um whether it was with toby meredith maybe Uh, that's the only one i could really see him with we we do see hints of him having feelings for other people in the office later in the show but i don't really see that pairing ever working out i don't know no i don't know but it is something interesting to think about even like somebody like oscar who would you pair him with just within the office right now knowing what we know maybe with uh, and this is going to seem far-fetched but maybe with angela knowing what we know right now i might actually pair him with angela because they are sort of the parents as we mentioned before of the accounting team they seem to get along pretty well and actually now that i say this i, I don't think this gives anything away but they become pretty good friends by the end of the series so they do yeah so i i could pair them together <laughs> okay yeah that works for me but I really like that Meredith Creed idea. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think that would be far more interesting anyway. Well, let's go ahead and move on to Christmas Party, episode 10 of season two. It aired on December 6th of 2005, was directed by, I believe, first time director for the series, Charles McDougall, and written by normal writer Michael Schur. So in this episode, the party planning committee is uh, planning the annual Christmas party. Michael wants to go above and beyond this year, so he provides funds for the party planning committee. There's a secret Santa scheduled. Um, Jim gets Pam, which he's really excited about. He gets her a gift full of inside jokes, including the yearbook picture from email surveillance. However, Michael decides to switch secret Santa into Yankee Swap or White Elephant Exchange or Nasty Christmas, whatever you call it, at the last minute. Um, everyone's really bummed about their gifts because now nothing makes sense because everyone had bought a gift for a specific person and the party is kind of ruined. Michael decides to ignore the corporate rules and go buy alcohol to liven the party back up. Pam, who ended up with Michael's expensive iPod, um, trades with Dwight so she can have Jim's gift back. The party gets out of control just as Michael kind of wanted and everyone ends up having a pretty good time in the end. So that's our Christmas party this year, Um, the first of several Christmas episodes of The Office. Yes, and this is probably the the most classic of all of them. In fact, there's a couple of small story details in this episode that last literally until the last episode, or at least the second to last episode. So yeah, this Christmas episode, one, because it's the first one, and two, just because it is such a classic one, always stood out in my mind. Um, I was telling you earlier, I don't have a whole lot of like detailed notes for this episode because it's just a lot of... It's, it's a fun episode. It's a great episode. Uh, but I just don't get as many smaller character moments from this. That being said, Michael is on like a thousand percent in this episode. He's having a lot of fun, whether things go his way or not at first. We find out that he got a big $3,000 Christmas bonus because he fired Devin. And so he decides to contribute extra money to the Christmas party so that they can get more decorations and food and all that kind of stuff. And as a gift for the Secret Santa, he buys Ryan a $400 iPod, despite the $20 limit that everybody had set for their gifts. He has this talking head where he says, giving presents is one of the best ways to tell someone how much you love them. Uh, it's a tangible way to say, I love you this many dollars worth. <laughs> and so uh, that, that, that becomes a theme throughout the episode where he's comparing everybody else's gifts 
to his, which isn't fair because everybody else abided by the $20 limit and he spent $400. So of course, nothing else is going to stand up in his mind as yeah. as good as a video iPod. Not so fair. <laughs> yeah, not fair at all. And I feel bad for Phyllis because she gets Michael in the Secret Santa drawing and she makes him on her own a homemade oven mitt and he hates it. He thinks, how is how is this better than an iPod? And we're just left here thinking that's not the point, Michael. This isn't a competition. This wasn't a comparison. You were supposed to buy something or make something, in Phyllis's case, for the person that you drew. And you cheated, basically, is what it, what, what it comes down to, is Michael cheated. And because he doesn't think the, the oven mitt stands up to the iPod that he bought for Ryan, he decides to turn it into something where he can maybe win something better out of this deal. It's really cruel. Like Angela even makes a comment when Michael first introduces Yankee Swap, as he calls it. Yankee Swap. <laughs> <laughs> he she makes a comment that just sounds kind of cruel. And he says, No, it's it's more fun this way. It's more special this way. I, I would think personally that buying something specific for somebody is more special, but hey, what do I know? I'm not Michael. Right. And when we look at most of the gifts, I mean maybe Creed's is an exception since he found that shirt. <laughs> you know literally just somewhere most of the gifts had you know some personal sentiment somebody put thought behind that and even if it was just oscar's gift to creed which was a, a irish shamrock keychain he says i i think creed is irish so here's a keychain um <laughs> right. but even that had some thought behind it and especially jim's gift to pam which was a teapot which she really wanted but more than that it was full of inside jokes between the two of them so there was the uh, yearbook picture because she loved that so much and he kind of laughs. Yeah, I made her laugh for some reason. I don't know why. There was a hot sauce packet, which was an inside joke with them. I think a pencil, like a, a, a little yellow pencil was in there and several other things. Um, just kind of a, a teapot full of memories, which was really nice, uh, which wouldn't have made sense to anybody else. And he also got her a card. He wrote her a card. And he says, because Christmas is the time to tell people how you feel. And we see him at the end of that episode when she finally gets her teapot. He slips the card away and puts it in his pocket. So we're, we're left wondering what was in that card. Yeah, in fact, in the commentary, Jenna Fisher says, hey, I still don't even know what was in that card. I, nobody told me. The only person who knows that is John Krasinski. And I, I'll, I'll just go ahead and say that remains a mystery for... The entirety of the show, <laughs> but right. that that may come back into play at some point. But I love that he actually did write something. Oh, me too. And I would love to one day find out maybe what John Krasinski said. But I also think I've seen maybe interviews or something where somebody asked, "Hey, what did that letter say?" And John says, "You know, some things I I just want to keep a personal thing, and that was a personal thing between me and Jenner Fisher, and that's that." And I, I, I respect that as well, that they had a, a good enough working relationship in the show that they would want to keep it a secret just between the two of them. Right. That's a nice moment. But, you know, Michael, he says this $3,000 Christmas bonus, he says something good came out of firing Devin after all. And he says, maybe I should call him and tell him that. And the worst part is I could so picture Michael calling Devin and actually saying, hey, just so you know. You don't need to feel all bad about losing your job here. You don't need to feel too bad about getting fired because I, I did get a bonus out of it and I'm throwing this great Christmas party for everybody here. So thank you, Devin, and being <laughs> sincere about it. Like I can I can picture Michael doing that and 
thinking he's being sincere, thinking that he's actually telling Devin a good thing. And then I, I don't know how Devin would react, but I'd imagine he'd be pissed off because I would be. That, yeah. that, but it's just that Michael even suggests such a thing and that I could totally picture him doing it. Is It's so bad. And of course, Michael, when he first says that he got this big bonus, says he got 3,000 Gs. I think he means $3,000 or 3K. He got a little confused on on his <laughs> yeah. uh, terminology there. 3 Gs, 3K, 3,000. But he, uh, <laughs> 3,000 Gs is definitely not his bonus. I didn't pick up on that. That's funny. <laughs> but there's also this continued narrative that uh, Michael has that people of different skin colors can't portray characters of different skin colors. So Daryl comes in and is, he's asking to borrow Michael's Santa hat because Michael's wearing a Santa hat and he has a beard at one point too. He's saying, can I borrow your Santa hat for something? And he says, Michael says, have you seen Santa, Daryl? Like, it, it just doesn't work. <laughs> Dwight can be an elf because it makes sense. He's got elfish features. <laughs> and we get this close-up zoom on Dwight. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we get a close-up zoom on Dwight. And then later he's wearing the, the funny ears and the, the elf hat. But he doesn't want to give Daryl the santa hat because he doesn't he doesn't think santa is black or could be black that's the same sort of thing he did back in halloween when kelly dressed up as dorothy from wizard of oz and he says hey you should have dressed as the character from bendit like beckham because you're indian and that that's an indian person playing soccer so you should have done that michael michael same sort of thing as last episode he's got this this casual racism that is always prominent almost in some way every episode it really does. I'm I'm not sure we've seen an episode pass where there's not a racist moment, honestly. Yeah, even a tiny one, like in The Client, when he says adios to uh, Oscar on his way out the door. Small things like that. Right. He, he There's always at least one tiny thing where he's he's saying something that can be perceived as racist. As far as some other character interactions go, there's an interesting moment between Kelly and Dwight and Dwight and Angela. So... Like we said in email surveillance, we now know that Angela and Dwight are hooking up in some capacity, whether that's romantic or physical, we don't really know. But we do see when the Christmas party gets a little bit rowdy, um, everyone's had some alcohol, Kelly goes and kisses Dwight in the kitchen. And we see that Angela sees this, and Angela goes outside and gets furious and starts throwing Christmas ornaments down and stomping on them. So that's just an interesting little triangle happening there. Yeah, things don't go well for Angela in this episode. Nothing goes the way she wants it to. First, it's the lights that Phyllis bought for the Christmas tree are the, the tiny white ones. And so when they reveal the lights and the decorations on the tree, it, it really doesn't look all that impressive. And so she's upset about that. And then they're doing the gift exchange and Michael changes it to a Yankee swap. And she doesn't like that very much. And then after... Michael brings alcohol back and they're all having a good time. Michael congratulates Ryan as king of the party planning committee. And Ryan did nothing. It's all Angela. Angela is the queen and the emperor of the party planning committee, to be honest. <laughs> She's in charge. Um, and so for, for Michael to give all that credit to Ryan, just because he has this sort of man crush on him, uh, that makes her mad. And then the, the icing on the cake for her is that Kelly kisses Dwight. And so she goes outside, she's throwing ornaments and smashing them in the snow. And it's it's tough. But then they talk about in the commentary how as Angela's mood is declining over the course of the episode, Phyllis starts out from a pretty bad place because one, she picks the wrong lights for the tree. It's not impressive. Then Michael is just so hard on her and her Christmas gift. And 
it's not just him being unhappy with his gift. It's that he's actively trying to pawn it off onto somebody else because he hates it so much. Then Meredith finally gives in and throws her a bone and says, I'll, I'll take the oven mitt. Thank you, Phyllis. This is something I appreciate from you. But from then on, after Michael says one more rude thing, she leaves the office and she comes back with none other than Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. <laughs> and it's our first time to meet him. And we get this great deleted scene where she's talking about how she invited somebody to the party. And she says his name's Bob Vance. He works at Vance Refrigeration next door. That's how I met him. And then she like gets quiet for a second and almost says, she, she, she says quietly, he's my boyfriend. She's really excited about it. She's real proud <laughs> that, that Bob Vance is her boyfriend. And it's this real sweet deleted scene because she has had a hard time this episode. Um, Michael has made her feel bad. In fact, another thing we found out from the commentary is that while filming that part of the episode, Phyllis Smith, who plays Phyllis here, is uh, she, she would take crying breaks like in between filming takes and she wouldn't talk to anybody. And so she was having people come up to her. Phyllis, are you OK? Are you OK? And she was just trying to stay in character and keep the emotion running so that she wasn't constantly going back and forth between emotional states while filming this episode, which sounds incredibly depressing <laughs> to me. Uh, but yeah. good for her for being consistent. But Bob Vance makes her happy. And that that's great in this episode. I did just have one more character interaction to talk about. Um, at the very end of the episode, after the Christmas party has been a success, everyone decides, even though they've had a lot of alcohol, to go out to the bar. And as we saw in email surveillance, Michael has just not been included in this sort of stuff before. Tries to get invites. They never happen. But at this episode, Michael gets the invite. He's invited to the bar, and he goes. And I um, thought that was a nice touch, because he he's finally done enough right and he's actually gotten better as the episode went along and he uh yeah he was still goofy and he was still michael but he didn't piss anybody off enough that day that he got invited i think everybody recognizes that he was trying to make amends so when he brings back the alcohol yes alcohol can can liven up a party in a certain way but he's also including everybody so he takes shots with meredith and is it ryan and phyllis uh, they they take shots together. And right. so even though he was giving Phyllis a hard time earlier in the episode, he's making an effort to include her and to be nicer to her and to have a good time with her. And he, he, he just does turn it around. He takes this, this party that he ruined and not necessarily because of the alcohol, but because of how he behaves and how he treats everybody when he comes back with the alcohol. He's just sort of a different person and is treating everybody better. And so he's included. It's it's really a, a lesson that Michael should take away from, but I don't have high hopes that in the future he'll be learning from that lesson. Yeah. He makes amends with Daryl as well uh, by finally letting him be Santa, which uh, was good because at the beginning of the episode, you know, Daryl, who was black, could not possibly be Santa. So he grew. That was nice. He did. And just because you mentioned Daryl, uh, I wanted to mention, we, we get a snippet of this in the actual episode, but there's a, an extended deleted scene where Kevin is rapping and Daryl is in the background, just so psyched up and bouncing his head and waving his arm and so excited for Kevin. And I looked up the song uh, by the lyrics. He's, he's rapping to Run DMC's Christmas in Hollis. And Daryl is just so psyched up. And of course, Kevin is just like, deadpan delivering this rap because he's not an exciting person <laughs> uh, but I, I just love that moment and how excited that daryl was in the background yeah that was pretty fun 
So I think that's all we have for character interactions. As far as funny moments, Chad, what did you have? Um, well, starting off, you have the cold open. I said Michael's really joyful in this episode a lot of the time, and it starts off with him and Dwight bringing in this huge Christmas tree. And they, they start carrying it in one way, and Michael says, no, Dwight, we're going to break the branches that way. So we back it out, and we turn it around, and we pull it in, and Merry Christmas, everybody. And they heave up this Christmas tree, and it launches itself into the ceiling tile and knocks it askew. Uh, but he, he's just so excited that, hey, he, he's got this giant Christmas tree for everybody. Then when the party planning committee is meeting and planning the party, he walks in, he's got his Santa beard on, he's got the Santa hat on, and he points to each of the women and he says, ho, ho, ho. And then Ryan's in there. And so he calls him a pimp. Uh, it's just a, a funny play on words. Like that. that's actually funny, even though it's rude. It's definitely rude. But it, it is uh, a funny sort of play on words for Michael. Regarding the Christmas tree, I liked, um, because it was too tall, they had to chop off the top of the tree to make it fit. Um, of which Michael says, this will make a perfectly good mini tree. But Kevin um, has to cut the tree with a paper cutter. They're using like an, a... a a chop paper cutter um, and he's just hacking away at the top of the tree <laughs> takes forever i'm sure it does and then michael says we're going to sell this to charity because that is what christmas right. is all about we're going to sell it to them <laughs> we're not just going to give it to them. they have to buy it and it's this pathetic little tree and kevin gives this little half smile as he holds it out <laughs> from to his side <laughs> not even two feet tall yeah right <laughs> There's uh that's what she said joke related to the tree as well in this episode where Kevin says, why did you get it so big? And so Michael says, that's what she said. <laughs> and then of we course. get the great reverse psychology quote from Michael in this episode as well, where he has the oven mitt. He's trying to convince people to take it from him via Yankee swap. And he's saying, oh, man, look at this craftsmanship. A lot of love went into this. Wow, it's just beautiful. And then Meredith, she's doing it to more please Phyllis and to please Michael says, okay, I'll take the oven mitt. And he, he yells sucker at her. And he says, then he has this talking head where he says, reverse psychology is this awesome tool where basically you make someone think the opposite of what you believe. And that tricks them into doing something stupid, <laughs> which isn't <laughs> technically the correct definition no. of reverse psychology, but it worked for not Michael, really. I guess. It, yeah. It's not what happened here even though he thinks it but it, it's funny i guess he was using reverse psychology in a way to get her to take it but the way he described it was not reverse psychology <laughs> no not at all but perhaps my my favorite michael quote from this episode is when he's decided to bring alcohol into the equation so he goes to the liquor store and he has 15 bottles of vodka on the counter that he's buying to bring back to the office he goes to the guy behind the counter and he says, you're the expert. Is this enough to get 20 people plastered? Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, the guy responds, 15 bottles it. of vodka. That'll do it. <laughs> it's yeah, like, that, uh, yeah, yeah, Michael, you, you've almost got a one-to-one -one ratio of bottles of vodka to people. Uh, I think that's enough. That's enough to get everyone alcohol poisoning. Yeah, that'll <laughs> yeah, do it. <laughs> it <is. laughs> uh, what other funny moments in this episode for you? I think with Michael, um, my last big Michael moment was at the very end, um, right as the party's winding down, Michael's in his office kind of getting his things together and Meredith walks in and uh, doesn't say anything to, that I remember, but completely strips off her top. So she's topless and Michael looks up, kind of half gasps, just makes this weird drunken, 
oh, <laughs> uh, brings up his camera, takes a picture, and he leaves. <laughs> Just right. doesn't doesn't really take him by too much surprise. <laughs> right. He he doesn't really react in any extreme way. It's just like, oh well, well that happened. Here's a picture to document that. Let's go. Right. <laughs> All right. Away from work. Uh and speaking of Meredith, this is really we we'd mentioned before, uh there was a moment, I don't remember what episode, but Kelly comes up and asks Meredith if she wants to go out on a Friday night. She says, I don't know, I'm still recovering from last night and referring to a Thursday night. So we'd gotten hints that Meredith likes her some alcohol, uh, but we really get a lot of that in this episode, resulting in that moment where she she shows up topless or takes off her top in Michael's office. And she had a talking head earlier in the episode where she says, yeah, I made a New Year resolution to not drink anymore during the week. <laughs> so right. yeah, she's got an alcohol problem and that's the result. I think one of my other favorite moments this episode was when Dwight ended up with Jim's uh, Jim's gift for Pam, which was the teapot, and he says, "No, no, no, this is perfect. Um, this way, I can use it as a as a nasal drainage. Like, if you're familiar with neti pots, which is what that is, it's like a, a basically a teapot that you tilt water in one nostril and it comes out the other. Ask any singer; they'll tell you it's a lot of fun um, and it's fairly disgusting. <laughs> and um, Dwight wants to use Pam's nice gifted teapot uh, as this disgusting, like, nasal drainage. It's horrible. It's so gross. <laughs> and Jim is just mortified that of anybody to get this teapot, it'll be Dwight and he's going to use it for that. <laughs> there were a couple small Dwight moments that made me laugh. There was one where he's got a dust buster and he's using that, that tiny handheld vacuum to clean up the tree needles that are scattered all over the place in the office. Um, and then he continues his proud tradition of quoting villains by saying, uh, he, he he quotes Billy Zane's character from Titanic. Uh, I make my own luck. <laughs> he, he's continuing that. First uh, Darth Vader, then Lex Luthor, and then here he's quoting Billy Zane in Titanic. Uh, Kevin drew himself for a secret Santa and he didn't tell anybody. So we get two talking heads talking about it. The first time he says, I drew myself for Secret Santa and didn't tell anyone. And then he gives this big, stupid grin. <laughs> the, the, the Kevin grin, really, is what it is. And it's just, uh, he's so excited that he drew himself for Secret Santa and kept it a secret. And then uh, when it comes to the Yankee swap later and he steals back the foot bath that he bought for himself... And he's got this talking head. He says, oh, no, maybe I should have gotten the iPod. Oh, no. <laughs> it's like, oh, I, I didn't really think that through, did I, Kevin? Uh, but it, it's it's funny. This is our first time meeting Bob Vance, and he's Phyllis's boyfriend. And we are introduced also to his personality quirk, which is every time he introduces himself to somebody, he has to say, Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration. So he's introducing himself to a group of three different people, and he says, Bob Vance, Vance Refrigeration, every single time. And then after he's introduced himself three times using this, this little phrase, then Ryan says, what line of work you in, Bob? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is so good. So good. I, I really like Ryan in certain moments in this, these er, this earlier season. Not so much later, as we'll, we'll get to eventually. But right yeah. now, Ryan has his really funny moments, and that's one of them. He does, yeah. And 
worth noting, this was a return of the party planning committee, and also Todd Packer shows up at one point because alcohol is involved in everybody's partying, so of course he shows up. The episode ends with Michael having a voiceover talking about the joys of Christmas, but uh, while he's doing that, you see everybody else down in the parking lot throwing snow at each other and just having a good time, saying their goodbyes as they get ready to head to the bar, some of them, and it, it's a it's a happy ending to the episode that did have a couple of down moments, but ended on a positive note for sure. We were lucky and got a commentary this episode, so we did get a a list of who gave whom which Christmas gifts. So let's see. We have Jim, of course, gave Pam the teapot. Dwight was going to give the paintball lessons to Phyllis, correct? Yeah. We had the iPod from Michael to Ryan. Pam, this one was not shown in the episode. She she drew a, a, a picture of the office and was going to give that to Meredith, I believe. Uh-huh. Stanley was given a picture frame by... You'll have to fill me in on this one. Meredith, maybe? I believe it might have been Meredith. Kevin gave himself a foot bath. Kelly was given the, the desk plate by Stanley. Who was the book of short stories or poetry? I think it was from Ryan, but it was for Toby. For Toby, yep. So that's all I remember from the uh, from their list. But it was interesting that, that there were some that weren't shown in the episode, including especially Pam's drawing, because they had to, you know, get this whole piece drawn and, and you know, find somebody to do it. And they actually hired um, an artist who happened to be a male artist to do it. And they said, you know, it's just not Pam's soul in the drawing. It just doesn't seem like something that Pam would draw. So they went to several young female art students and had them draw what they wanted drawn. And they narrowed it down from there. And they eventually chose this one girl who they mentioned does many, if not all, of Pam's drawings throughout the series, which I thought was really interesting. So that all of her art is done by the same person. So it has the same style. Yeah, I thought that was really cool, too. I noted that as well, uh, that they use the same person to draw multiple Pam drawings, at least through this season and presumably continuing through the rest of the show. Worth noting in the commentary, Kate Flannery, who plays Meredith, and David Denman, who plays Roy, uh, were both in the commentaries for, I think, the first time. And something cool that happened with this episode that they talked about was that the day after this episode aired was when iTunes first announced that you could download TV episodes from iTunes, which is 100% coincidence considering that a video iPod is featured so prominently in this episode. So people were getting iPod videos for Christmas and then downloading this episode specifically onto their new iPod videos, which is it's a mind-blowing coincidence. And they said people never believe that, but it's true. Just excellent luck. <laughs> yeah, for sure. We got confirmation that the high school photo of Jim in the teapot is actually of John Krasinski, which I would assume, but we got the confirmation. And Jenna Fisher picked out that specific teapot. Like she, she had a, several to choose from, and she decided this is the one that Jim would get for Pam. Very cool. And coincidentally, is her husband's favorite color is teal. So that's nice. I forget which of the men speaking on the commentary it was, but the Christmas tree lighting... Um, I believe it was Michael Schur, that he and his then-girlfriend, now-wife, were spending Christmas together, and they bought the little lights for the tree, and they did this big reveal, and it was disappointing, just like in the office, so they went and bought a million more lights and put them up, and um, so that was based on a true story. 
And he also borrowed a line from his wife. He said, you know, I bought my wife an iPod. And when I gave it to her, she said the line, this is going to change the way I work out, which is what Pam says when she and Roy are looking at the iPod video. And I forgot, I neglected to mention this during the actual episode discussion, but Roy has another despicable Roy moment where they're looking at the iPod video together that Pam has taken from the Yankee swap. And he says, yeah, I was going to get you one of these for Christmas and now I'm going to save a lot of money. I'm going to get you like a sweater or something. Ugh, right. Oh, <laughs> and then of course, Pam decides, nope. You're not getting out of this that easy. I'm going to trade this with Dwight and I'm going to get Jim's gift instead. Which is just, when you're engaged to somebody, like, you should, within your means, should be getting them, you know, a decent gift. Yeah, <laughs> it's I, not like they're your, you know, next door neighbor that you speak to once a year on Christmas. It's it's somebody that, you know, you are marrying. <laughs> and they've they've been together for several years and they live together. I mean... It, it's insane that he would downgrade her gift from an iPod video to a sweater just because she already got an iPod video. I don't know. Like when I think about giving gifts to my loved ones, it's like all within a same budget. You know, if I'm going to give somebody, say, an iPod video, oh, but they already have one. Okay, I'm going to stick in that budget and not get them a T-shirt. It's just <laughs> yeah, uh, a little a little insulting from Roy. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's for sure. But uh, it was cool that that line specifically was from Michael Schur's wife when he gave her her iPod. And the last thing I had noted uh, from the commentary was in the script, Michael Schur had written the line, what's up, nerds, for Todd Packer's introduction to the episode. And instead, David Kechner, or I, don't, I never know how to pronounce his last name, David Kechner, David Ketchner, he said it instead as, what's up, my nerds. <laughs> <laughs> which he said is a million times funnier. So I'm glad that David Ketchner took it and made it his own. And he just added that that one little syllable, that one little M apostrophe, <laughs> basically, and made that line so much funnier. As far as deleted scenes, um, it is revealed that Creed used to have a radio show in the 70s, which um, Creed Bratton, who plays Creed Bratton, does have a really, really interesting life. Um, Creed Bratton was... He was in a fairly famous band, and I'm totally blanking right now. Um, the Grassroots. The Grassroots, yeah. So the actor himself has a pretty interesting backstory, and as we're learning now, um, Creed, the character, does as well. Yeah, I love that Creed, you know, there's several characters in the show who are portrayed by people who share their names. You've got Oscar Nunez playing Oscar. You've got Phyllis Smith playing Phyllis. And then you've got Creed Bratton, who's actually playing a character fully named Creed Bratton. Nobody else shares a last name with their character. Um, and so I love that he becomes a fictionalized version of himself over the course of the show, almost like Adam West did right. in Family Guy, where he, he was Adam West played Adam West in Family Guy as the mayor of Quahog. Um, it, it's the same sort of idea. And so it, it's funny as as the show progresses, we find out little by little more and more of Creed. And some of it is definitely related to his real life personality, but some of it is just like so much further than that. Totally off. Yeah, and this is that, that first extension of his character. You mentioned Kevin rapping earlier, um, and I wanted to throw out this line that they use in the deleted scene. I'm the DJ because I really know how to heat up a party. <laughs> and as you said, Kevin is not a super interesting guy. Um, I wouldn't have picked Kevin to light up the party, but he is trying and bless him for doing so. Yes, he is. And as I said, during during that little moment where he's rapping Run DMC, it just brings me so much joy to see Daryl in the background having such a good time watching Kevin do this. <laughs> Any other deleted scenes? 
Yeah, I think just the one more. Um, Michael is talking about how much better his gift is than everyone else's, you know, his $400 iPod. And um, Michael says, it's such a great feeling watching other people envy a gift you gave to someone else. It makes you feel good. <laughs> just, you know, because that's the spirit of Christmas is watching envy on people's faces, getting a, of, of watching somebody else get a better gift. Uh, his idea of Christmas is a little skewed. I get that he's proud of his gift, but that was not the point of the game. No, he w- he was just showing off, and that's all it is. Michael's showing off, and uh, yeah, he got the Christmas bonus, so he did it, did with it what he wanted, and that that was it. And it almost ruined the party, but thankfully he did turn it around uh, with some alcohol. Now, for our discussion topic for this episode, I have a little bit of a game. What I've done is I've taken a randomizer. And I've typed in everybody's names in the office. And I'm going to hit randomize. And then we're each going to have a character assigned to us. And we have to come up with, on the spot, a gift for that character. So. All right. I'm a little nervous. Okay. Let's do it. So your character is Ryan. What are you getting Ryan for Christmas in Secret Santa this year? Uh, Okay. It's hard because I know Ryan later. Um, but my first thought was like a Bluetooth headset. Um, but maybe that's because I know Ryan later. Now, I don't know. He seems kind of broy, right? He seems like a kind of like a frat guy. So maybe something. I don't know. I'd get him like a a six pack of some fun weird beer, maybe. I yeah, like a, a foreign beer or craft beer or something like that. I could yeah, see him being the kind of guy who likes yeah. that. Okay, who's who's yours? Let's see. I've got Meredith. <laughs> which almost makes this Ooh. a little bit too easy. I, I guess I could just get her a couple yeah. bottles of vodka or something. Yeah. <laughs> or um, maybe a, a fun shirt that says something about alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just can't think of anything other than alcohol-related things to give Meredith because that's, yeah. that's even in this episode, that's who her character is. That's most of what we know about her right now. Yeah. <laughs> so that, that was a little too easy. Here, I'll go ahead and do it one more time, see if I can get somebody. Jim. Okay, so what would I get Jim, which <laughs> okay. is... Something better than what Creed gave him, that old shirt. So anything. Yeah, anything, <laughs> basically. I would give him maybe like a book on ways to prank people, like prank ideas. Oh, so okay. he could yeah. go through them and see, okay, this one would be good for Dwight. Let's see. Or really the whole thing would be used to to plan against Dwight. But I think that would be fun. Like give him a, a prank ideas book or even maybe yeah. some sort of planning notebook where he can sketch out ideas for his own pranks. I bet he would use that very much <laughs> <laughs> i think that'd be a lot of fun well cool i think that is the end of the official eighth episode of an american workplace you can contact us at facebook.com slash workplace pod or on twitter at workplace pod please if you feel so inclined remember to rate review and or subscribe on itunes and you can email feedback or ideas to workplacepod at gmail.com you can find me on twitter at ktlady623 or on Facebook at facebook.com slash katie.white. And the best place to find me is at chadadada on Twitter. That is C-H-A-D-A-D-A-D-A. And then facebook.com slash chad.hopkins. And all of our show notes and all of our contact information can be found at our website, workplacepodcast.com. That's all for this week. Thank you so much for joining us to watch one of our favorite shows, The Office, here on Episode 8 of An American Workplace. Make sure to join us in episode 9 for our discussion of the next two episodes of season 2, Booze Cruise and The Injury. Thanks so much. Bye.
And she had a talking head earlier in the episode where she says, yeah, I made a New York resolution or New York. Oh, my goodness. I typed NY <laughs> in my notes. So I, I said, OK, that's amazing. 